0: Welcome to San Diego News Fix, The Backstory. I'm Luis Cruz. Every week on this podcast, we discuss how decisions in our newsroom are made and tackle important questions about journalism ethics. Today, we're discussing the disparities and punishments Navy officers received in the scandal involving Leonard Glenn Francis, the military contractor better known as Fat Leonard. Joining me today, our military and veterans issues reporter, Andrew Dyer, Enterprise Team Editor, Christina Davis, Managing Editor, Laura Sacallo, and we begin with Editor and Publisher, Jeff Light. Jeff? Hey, thank you, Luis. Um,
1: so today we're going to talk about this uh, remarkable story that uh, Andrew has reported out over the last several years, uh, uh, working uh, with Christina um, to, to uh, prepare for publication this weekend, and uh, it, it, as you said, uh, Luis, it, it discusses the disciplinary and judicial process uh around the Fat Leonard case. And really the great accomplishment of the story is uh, uh, uh finding uh rooting rooting out the unseen part of the story, those who have never been named, uh and um and drawing parallels between the cases of the the uh Defendants who were prosecuted or pleaded guilty, or were published in, in some administrative process, uh, and those who were allowed to retire or uh, uh, who seem to have escaped publishment and, and escaped uh, uh, public uh, public scrutiny. So this issue of naming is an interesting one in journalism, and I think is at the heart of the story. And I guess maybe we should just start. Uh, uh, if Andrew, you could tell us the story of the two captains who are the beginning of, uh, of your article. And just for the ease of working through this, uh, we probably should not use their names in this setting uh, because there's a lot of care taken in how we talk about these things, but just tell us the story of the two captains, one named and one who until uh, 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 your story has not been named.
2: Sure. So this was probably the, and the reason we start the story with it is that this, Kind of case of these two captains best illustrates uh, the different choices Navy administrators made in drawing out punishments and, and dealing with this scandal. So, the thing about <laughs> Fat Leonard, and, uh, you know, Christina has written a lot about it, um, I, I've written about it, is that it's so all encompassing. Basically, every senior officer deployed on a, a ship into the 7th Fleet in the Western Pacific um, over a period of about 20 years. Uh, the earliest cases in the early 90s. Um, probably had some kind of contact with Leonard or his company, uh, Glenn Defense Marine Asia. So uh, and everybody who had contact was looked at by the Navy. And these two captains um, were both on the Carl Vinson, both part of the kind of upper echelon command staff of the the battle group, right? So one of them was on the staff of the, the battle group commander. The other one was the leader of the destroyer squadron. Uh, and... You know, when Navy ships pull into foreign ports uh, you can't leave the ship by yourself. You have to sign out with somebody and that, that person is called a liberty buddy. So everybody that goes off, uh, on, off on shore in a port gets a liberty buddy and your liberty buddy is usually a friend of yours. And you know, that's the person that you go out to eat with, out to do whatever with. So these two captains were liberty buddies. Uh, But they were also uh, kind of enthralled with with Leonard Francis and they received uh, a hotel room at reduced rates from from Francis. Um, They you know the the kind of the standard litany that we understand from this case, the dinners, the parties and the the prostitutes that uh, were supplied by Francis. Um, So they both engaged in in this conduct. this was the uh the cruise in 2011 uh kind of notorious for uh burying osama bin laden at sea they were both on on the Vincent at this time um but when they got back to san diego one of the captains uh met up with with Leonard Francis and handed over a, a roster of every admiral in the Navy their professional contact information and the names of their spouses so one of Leonard's tactics was to uh, recruit new officers into his criminal enterprise and one of the ways he'd do that was by sometimes giving their spouses gifts so um, that captain, uh, went on to, uh, you know, further in his navy career. The the other captain, when the Leonard scandal scandal broke, came under investigation, and in in 2016, he went to court martial. So by going to court martial, he is now outside of the navy's administrative process and inside of. A, a justice type system, the military's justice system. And so his name was released as part of the public record. Um, and the second captain, um, well, he went through the administrative side of military uh, justice, if it, it, for lack of a better term, and he received administrative punishment uh, for his conduct with Francis, uh, despite having given Francis something of value, which the first captain who went to court-martial did not, Uh, at least it's not in the the court record and he wasn't accused of doing so. So um, the first captain went to court-martial, he was reduced in rank to commander uh, and retired. So that, you know, cost thousands over the life of his lifelong military pension. And if you Google his name uh, you know, Fat Leonard is the first thing that shows up. Not the other captain uh, retired as a captain, and you know has gone on to live a normal post-military career. Um, in his case, uh, you know, selling real estate. Um, so these are two very divergent outcomes for the the same conduct, and that was kind of the uh, the for me, from what I could see in the records, the best way to illustrate uh, the, the Navy's disparity.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's a, you know, a very compelling uh, uh, anecdote that the two shore buddy captains uh, who uh, seem to engage in the same uh, misconduct, where one uh, is court-martialed and loses rank and uh, uh, status and his good name, and then the other who retires to Coronado and sells million-dollar real estate. So, You know, how is that fair? So Christina Davis, uh, I think uh, there's a pretty compelling case there around the work that you all have done to dig out the secret story of the second captain. And uh, what's interesting, I think, about this piece is uh, uh, it goes well beyond the two captains, right? There are, uh, uh, I think, some 120 people who were investigated. Uh, Many of their names uh, have never come to light. uh, And... um, uh, tell us a little bit about how you thought about uh, this work of, of ferreting out the unnamed people and deciding whether to name them.
3: Yeah, I mean, there were um, a lot of discussions um, between Andrew and I and um, other editors. Um, so th- there were uh, Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's around 46 maybe names that have never been made public that we know of. Uh,
2: uh, I think it's 46 that have been named okay. and then a further uh, 70 or more that, that have not.
3: Gotcha. I got those numbers uh, flipped around in my head. So um, so that's still a ton of people that have not been named. And, um, you know, Andrew did all of the detective work um, to to figure out how many we actually could identify right and and we identified i think you know nearly two dozen people i think at this point um so yeah out of those uh, you know nearly two dozen people who do we identify in the article and what we we landed on i mean the whole reason for the story was really to um be able to point out those disparities whether it was disparities within the um the navy's punishment system, right? Um, and their investigations, just like those two captains or um, disparities between who was actually prosecuted by the DOJ um, in criminal court here in San Diego, which I, I've been covering a lot of those cases over the past nine years um, versus who uh, wasn't prosecuted and went administrative in the Navy, right? So um, the people that we ultimately landed on are people who, who's, whose Navy records seem to show that they had very much um, the same kind of misconduct that um, uh, there, there, I think there's at least one um, who had the same kind of misconduct that um, other people were sent to prison for, right? But he went administrative um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we picked up kind of some of the, the worst offenders, so to say, um, of that group of people that we do have IDs for. Um, there are also some people that we decided to name because they were um, incredibly high-ranking. Um, you know, some vice admirals, and um, they—well, I would argue all vice admirals are in you know tremendous positions of trust. Um, these ones kind of are holding um, you know other kind of interesting roles as well. Like one was a delegate to NATO at the time uh, when he uh, was um, found to be you know taking an item um, from Francis um according to that Navy investigation. So you know ultimately I think we're naming um four in this article and we felt that those um were in the public's best interest to name.
1: So so sounds like some of your criteria were the sort of the rank of the person, right? Their uh their power, their prominence. Uh uh And I guess uh, you're weighing that together with the level of wrongdoing, and the level of inequity for you know, the basic point of the story, right?
3: Correct. And you know, yeah, it's there, it's far from a mathematical formula. Um, You know, there are so many different uh, little circumstances, you know, that weave through every every story, um, through every incident. But yes, those those were some of the, the main things that we focused on.
1: And, and you know I, I i couldn't help but notice the uh responses from some of these people that sounded like they weren't particularly uh, uh, uh they didn't particularly welcome in our our inquiries let me put it that way did anybody ask uh, you all to not name them because uh, uh because it was going to break the secrecy did that come up
2: so i've you know i i was, uh, you know, I've spent the last few weeks, um, trying to talk with these people. Um, I've, you know, sent emails, I've, uh, made phone calls to several numbers that we found affiliated with them. Um, I've sent people messages on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, I, I will be fair, um, that not everybody that I reached out to, uh, Declined to at least engage in uh, some kind of conversation, but nobody wanted to uh, talk for this for this in this story. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I'd probably better leave it at that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, Laura Cicallo, uh this topic of who is named in our report. Uh, is something that comes up throughout journalism, right and as the managing editor, I think you face these decisions in all sorts of scenarios. like how how do we decide who is named and uh, who is not named in the in the stories that we're writing in the unit Tribune?
4: Well, as you said, this comes up in all kinds of ways through our work. Um, I was just thinking as Christina and Andrew were talking, you know, we, we deal with this in crime coverage quite often. uh, And we have a lot of discussions about this. As Christina mentioned, there is no mathematical formula where we can say, okay, one plus three, you know, we have a four here. It, It just, it doesn't work that way. And we have a lot of conversation about individual stories and individual sets of circumstance. Lots of times when we're dealing with a crime story, we look as they did at factors like the severity of the crime or the offense, as well as uh, the people involved, the prominence of those people, the relative position of those people. Um, If there is some broader social impact or uh, context that may influence our decision as well. But we deal with it in, you know, do we name a juvenile in a story? Uh, there are certain considerations in in those instances. And we we definitely have had conversations uh, about local stories when there have been incidents where a juvenile has been accused in a fatal shooting. Um, we've had conversations about naming victims. You know, our our standard is, for example, we don't name victims of uh sex crime, sexual assault, unless they come forward, they choose to be named. Um, so there are all kinds of instances in which we wrestle with these questions. And lots of times, you know, the the severity of an incident or the circumstances and the, the prominence of the position of the people involved are, are part of the consideration.
1: Yeah, probably a whole different podcast. Uh, yes. Um, yeah. uh, naming of victims, yeah, as you point out, we don't name routinely uh, sex crime victims. We we do name hate crime victims. It raises some interesting questions. I think that uh, bear uh, examination. Um, uh, Andrew, I, I I just I wanted to close with a question to you because uh, at the end of your story, you uh, you talked to some people who who point out. Uh, this choice by the Navy not to name people is nothing that they're compelled to do. There's no law that says wrongdoers cannot be um, uh, cannot be made public by the Navy. I, I was wondering, like, uh, whether that uh, uh, culture of secrecy um, aligns with the kind of culture of corruption that we found in the Fat Leonard trial. You know, is there a fresh air uh, theory here that uh, the Navy uh, is might might now be considering, uh, having been through this great trauma of finding such a widespread problem in its ranks.
2: Yeah, that's such a great question, and I really wish somebody at the Navy would answer it because um, when I bring them anything on this case, it's it's like an ice wall. Uh, they just they're not interested in talking about it. Um, there is a federal prosecution happening right now in San Diego and as long as that is ongoing, you know the Navy can say, listen, this is an open investigation you know we don't comment on open and active investigations even though it's been going on since 2013. So it, it gives them kind of that cover. Uh, but the the non-judicial punishment part of it, so you know th- when the Navy released, all of these records from its Consolidated Disposition Authority, you know, they looked at hundreds of officers, um, and about just over 120 of them that they've released so far were found to have some kind of misconduct. Um, But they redacted the names of every single one of them in these uh, CDA records. Um, and um, speaking with uh, Mr. Brennan, the, uh, the law professor, you know, that's a choice the Navy is making. He said, you know, there's no law he's aware of that mandates them do that. But, you know, under the Freedom of Information Act, they they cite the, a privacy clause in that law to withhold the names. Um, this has become standard practice across the military. The Navy's not the only person that does it. Um, they will cite Privacy as a reason not to name somebody. Uh, mo- just recently at, at Camp Pendleton, the um, the highest ranking enlisted leader of the uh, of, of one Marine Expeditionary Force was relieved of command, and they won't release their investigation into into why. They'll tell us that he was relieved, but they they won't say why, and they cite privacy for that. Well, you know, one meth that's like a whole quarter of the marine corps it's about 50,000 marines and this is the but you know uh, it's it's become you know as me as the as a military reporter trying to get information about the military you know this has become a very real source of kind of frustration you know in dealing with this policy over and over and over again and um so yeah it kind of Makes you want to try even harder to find out the things that they don't want to tell you.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, a terrific reporting, Christina Davis. Any last uh, uh, thoughts on uh, this story or this issue?
3: I just want to congratulate Andrew for sticking with this. He he had started on this uh, this project, so to say, um, at least a. Well, two years ago, I think. <laughs> no,
2: it's it's uh, almost. It was twenty eighteen. So, so there you go. I ago. mean, and
3: and and you know, I know COVID happened, and 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 a lot of our plans got derailed. But um, I just want to congratulate him for for sticking with it. Um, and you know, it'll be interesting to see if 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 anything else comes. I guess out of you know, once the story's published, if there's any kind of follow ups to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Terrific piece of journalism. Uh, Louise. All right. Thank you very much, Jeff. That does it for this special edition of San Diego News Fix. Don't forget to listen to San Diego News Fix with Christy Totten for an in-depth look at local stories making headlines throughout the week. You can find San Diego News Fix wherever you get your podcasts. For everyone at the San Diego Union Tribune, thank you very much for listening. Have a great day, everybody.